Good day, it's Shane here from Clairsy, Shane and Kimber, and these are the best bits of today's show on Mix 94.5. Enjoy. Why are we even buying houses here in Australia? Because Rock God Slash from Guns N' Roses, he's just put his house on the market, two million, right? Which doesn't even sound, I mean, it sounds out of reach for you and I maybe, but 14.2 million isn't much when you think it has a nightclub, a DJ booth, a wet bar, a screening room with stadium. It's a thousand square metres of living space, seven bathroom, uh, seven bedrooms, eight bathrooms, swimming pool, spa, places in Perth that are like... The thing's not in that house. It's yeah, probably. Uh, not got. This, it's house, this house is owned by a rock star called Slash. Yeah. And what, have you, what is your prep board ramps and all that kind of stuff? It's only $14.2 million. Like, mm. why would you buy a place in Perth that barely even gives you a view and they cost that much? No, you watch like, any US real estate program, you realise how expensive Australian real estate is. It's ridiculous. It's Absolutely. crazy. Mm. Like, that just seems like the greatest place ever. Go to the Hamptons. Absolutely. Now, there's always that one guy in the sport team I'd like to, uh, you know, basically he's the guy the Denver Broncos linebacker Von Miller mm. we'll just name him um, he has been dis- uh, he has been um, disciplined by his team for uh, baking air biscuits in team meetings oh no baking air biscuits <laughs> no. really really in team meetings when they're all sitting down he's opening the back flywire door right i have never heard anyone call Disgusting. it baking air biscuits baking air biscuits he is pushing the sphincter siren no. while oh. the guys are all no. sitting there and he's no. doing it purposely some of these guys it's abhorrent for me but some of these guys have just got one in the chamber ready to go anytime they want that is terrible <laughs> sorry I and so resist. He, he's been reprimanded, but um, he's no, he's been fined. The way they looked at it, I said, "There's got to be a better, you know, discipline than just fining the guy." Well, he dealt it. Hold he's him down, <laughs> hold him down, and do a uh, biscuit on his head. I don't know, but <laughs> Dutch oven. <laughs> Someone was doing it in the plane recently. You know, when you're in a plane and it's a tight, confined space, and it's like every twenty minutes. I'm like, "What's wrong with you people?" But it happens in a lot of teams as well as on air teams because I know recently uh, I was I had an upset tummy. Yes. <laughs> I remember that well. Uh huh. <laughs> and we're in. And for those people that haven't been into a a, a, a soundproof studio, there there it's like a goldfish. You can't get out, and there's no there's no you can't nothing can secrete. And it's no. not even a big space. This one. This is a small recording studio. No, that we were not in. smell proof either. And it just accidentally mm. slipped out. Yeah, it did. <laughs> oh, what was it? What, was was it like that, that the one? No, I don't no. know. That was. It sounds like that's been um, that was manufactured. A, that was a better one. Uh, okay, because <laughs> yeah. I think we were talking over it. So okay. maybe, I, couldn't, I couldn't put a price on that. Maybe arm wrestle with Wendell Sailor or something, <laughs> or, a, or a bum wrestle. He's <laughs> <laughs> seen so many amazing gigs in the two and a half year history of our Perth Arena, that sexy blue lit entertainment beast on Wellington Street. We want to talk about the versatility of the venue, from gigs to the Wildcats to Hotman Cup tennis to ice hockey on the weekend. Perth Arena CEO Mike Scott. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Mike. Fascinating to uh, be a part of the international hockey event on the weekend, all of us were asking, how expensive is it to put ice in the arena? Uh, um, expensive, look, it all stacks up with the show cost. So expense is, is one of those things that we, we put in with the show cost and the show's got to be viable. But um, how hard is it? Well, yeah. <laughs> like I, 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 I can just... Quite logistic, yeah. I rewind back uh, and I've seen a, a uh, special on the way they flip Madison Square Garden, ice hockey and basketball, and they just take the wood off the floor and the ice comes up. How is that in Perth? 
Yeah, we're a little different because we've got a permanent tennis court. They can quite uh, easily retain ice under their floors. So mm. we actually have to lay the ice completely from scratch. So we put big big tin sheets down that oh. catch the water yep. and we put make a big glycol tubing through that like a big refrigerator that freezes the ice. So it's uh, quite a manual process, but uh, but it works well. Oh, right, like a shallow swimming pool, but in a Pretty giant much. scale. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So at the base of it then, you've just got the concrete, which is what we see when we go to gigs and everyone's standing up or even when you put the seats down. But then the basketball court that you bring out every Friday, it, I mean, these things, they don't look like click-clack furniture. It's not like you've just put together a couple of normal sort of floorboards. How does it all work? <laughs> Well, the um, the basketball court goes on top as well. So the tennis court's underneath permanently. Right. Um, there's boards there, and it's flush with the floor, so you can't see it normally. But the uh, but the basketball court goes in, and it is click clack, but with lots and lots of people. <laughs> right. And how, how how much time is spent to put that together? The basketball court takes us about three or four hours, but it's about twenty people. Okay. Right. Hey, Mike, I just want to know, I've been to a lot of gigs there. I've seen Spandau Ballet, Backstreet Boys, but you go to a gig like Spandau and the, it's a very basic stage and you're going to see Justin Timberlake and he's got that giant rolling stage. I mean, obviously that's all building to costs because a lot of time setting all of that up, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And look, um, those bigger tours actually tour with a preset rig so that um, it just transfers from venue to venue. So right. it's, it's almost an identical show in each venue and that's how the costs stack up because they tour it around the world. I saw uh, a Hopman Cup game uh, oh, a couple of years ago, and I do recall that uh, the roof was open, it started to sprinkle, and then it had to be closed. The The match was put off for the time being, mm. but it took forever to close, like it takes a while for the roof to close. Whose decision is it to open or close? At a tennis tournament, yep. it's the referee. Oh, so okay. that's... That's the, the tournament organisers that will do that. They do it in consultation with the, with the players. But we are watching that weather all the time. We actually even move that roof so that the uh, patrons stay in shade during the tournament as well. You just don't see it moving. But uh, when the weather comes in, it's absolutely their call. It does only take 12 minutes, but it seems like forever. It does seem for it. like the, the, the game stopped and all of a sudden we're just sitting around, you know, and I'm going, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Yeah, it's actually one of the faster routes around, but, uh, right. but yeah, when you are watching it, it does move slowly. I maintain that the Perth Arena is the best venue that we have built in Perth to date. So cool. And so... Internationally, the, isn't yeah, it? The yeah, the stadium, hopefully we've learned a lot of things from the arena mm. and the stadium will be just as good. But how many shows are we holding at the arena every year? Look, I guess it averages at about uh, between 80 and 90 a year, and that's just the performance days. And then, of course, you've got the bump-ins and the bump-outs of those shows. We're generally doing stuff all the time. Yeah, and Mike, people often speculate as to how many people are at a gig, but uh, full capacity for any event, is it 16,000? Is it 14? What is the accurate number? It's 15,500, but like on the ice hockey, because obviously you take out the the bowl floor and some of our northern stand, the capacity in there was uh, was about 12,000 on the night and we were full of that. I know you're not going to say anything to uh, answer this question, but showbiz divas, like what do they want backstage? Yeah, you're right. I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. We'll see you at the arena soon, buddy. Pleasure, guys. There have been widespread reports overnight that a pair of Australians fighting for IS, the Islamic State terror group, have been killed in Iraq. And Foreign Minister Julie Bishop had this to say on our sister station Triple M Melbourne this morning. Both men have been boasting of their violent and inhumane acts and their terrorist activities and uh, both would have been um, subject to a considerable level of danger by being in Iraq and Syria in any event. Julie Bishop, let's uh, dig a little deeper on this. Terrorism expert Dr Clark Jones from the ANU is online. Uh, Dr Jones, good morning. Good morning. 
Dr. Jones, is there a romance around this kind of fanaticism? I think, unfortunately, there is. Uh, I, it's hard to wonder how people could see the activities of um, the so-called Islamic State, but the activities of Muhammad Al-Amar and Khalid Sharif to be uh, to glorify anything they've done. I mean, in fact, the what we've seen on uh, on the internet or, or via media is is horrific, if if I can use a word to describe it. Uh, particularly getting the uh, their um, uh, um, sorry Khalid Sharif's son to hold up severed heads some time ago. Mm. Uh, we just we just think of uh, how someone could get their their children involved in that, but how someone could even think to be involved involved in that sort of activity. Mm. I mean, the government are planning to strip dual nationals of their citizenship if they're involved in terrorist groups, so they don't even have to be charged just to take it away straight away. Are these people likely to want to return here? Like in your experience, do people really want to come back, and do they want to execute any plans here? Oh, look, I doubt it. Uh, people, people like, um, well, I mean, if they're not, not here any longer, I doubt they're going to want to try and return. Um, but, um, I, I doubt it. Those sort of people involved in the, at that high level of the Islamic State, uh, they, they haven't expressed any concern or any, any wish to want to be Australian or part of Australia, so I, I doubt very much they're gonna, they would want to try and return. So those that, that are involved in the core activities, um, I very much doubt it. But we have seen uh, people who have made that, uh, young kids who have made that silly decision. Mm. Um, there are some that have expressed concern, and I, I can think of three uh, where there's negotiation with the federal police and, and lawyers uh, down in Melbourne who, uh, who want to try and return because they uh, haven't liked what they've seen. Yeah. Hey, Doc, have these deaths been confirmed? And how difficult is it to get accurate information on what's going on in Iraq? Look, it's, it's extremely difficult to, um, to confirm, but I believe there are um, Australian agencies overseas, um, intelligence and security agencies, uh, or even possibly the Australian Federal Police, uh, uh, doing all they can to try and get confirmation. I believe they have got fairly close to confirmation for Muhammad Alamar, mm. but they're not quite sure about Khalid Sharif at this stage. Listen to a podcast recently with Hugh Hewitt, who was in the Reagan and Nixon administrations. He said, Bill Clinton gave up on uh, America being the world police. As we live on the planet going forward, it is very scary. We expect America, we expect somebody to ride in and help save us, but this is getting worse. Oh, look, sure. And look, I haven't been a great... Um a great supporter of military involvement overseas, and I, I say that. Um, um, and I had a, a military background myself, so I don't say that. But I think um, if you think of the the reasons or the justifications why some young people are turning to the Islamic State, a lot of them use uh, the atrocities or, or the problems that were caused by Western allied forces interfering in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we're mm -hmm. now seeing the deterioration in both countries that you wonder what the successes of Australian military or Western military intervention, uh, whether there's been any successes now. And you've got to, got to look at it from a strategic perspective. Those, both countries are deteriorating. Um, the other, uh, other reasons, of course, is the treatment of detainees uh, in Abu Ghraib and... Um, Guantanamo Bay. Yep. A lot of those. A lot of those. Um, the way that the torture that was used, or the um, the way stupid guards. I mean, it's used against and used for a reason for radicalisation. Yep. So I think military forces. We need to be think very carefully and about a strategy on on uh, on military action in uh, in Syria and Iraq in this case, and we need to be very careful that there's not a knock-on effect in relation to radicalisation. Mm. Yeah, we're going to have a new US president in about 12 months' time. Big responsibility right there, but Dr. Uh, Clark-Jones, thanks for your time. Look, thanks for having me.